Today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. If America wants to know peace and prosperity, then America needs to embrace truth. Truth revealed by God in His Word and through His Son. We need to stop living by the dictum that everything is right. We need to move from feeling good to being good. We need to realize that ideas have consequences. When you teach men that they are apes, life becomes a jungle. When it comes to the topic of politics, there are as many opinions as there are people. But when we let God's Word direct our thoughts on the matter, we'll find that the Bible has a lot to say about the sort of leaders we should elect. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy picks up where he left off last time with a message titled, For God and Country, where we're looking at the principles from the book of Proverbs for electing good leaders. If you want to replay the first segment for this message, you'll find it online at ktt.org. Now. Here's Philip with today's message. If you study the book of Proverbs, you'll find a progressive profile of the character and conduct of a person fit for government office. You have to be a good man to be a good leader. That's just the way it is. And the book of Proverbs reminds us of the fact that a leader must be what he should be if he would do what he must do. But let me run through a list of qualities and characteristics that you must bear in mind if you're voting. Or if you want to serve this city or serve this state or even serve this nation, these are the things that God wants to find in you and we want to find in you. Number one, leaders fear God first. Good rulers know that they are men under authority. Proverbs 8, verse 15, by me, says God, rulers reign. Judges pass laws. Good leaders are led by God. Leaders recognize the sacred trust of their office. It has been given to them by God, and it has been surrendered up to them by the vote of the people, by the submission of the people. That's a sacred trust. In the best sense, a leader ought to enjoy popular support. He is seen as wise. He is known as just. He is considered fair, and therefore he enjoys the support and the respect of the people. Here's another two, and we'll be done with this thought of electing righteous leaders. Leaders oppose wickedness. Righteous leaders oppose wickedness. You see, they know that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a dagger through the heart of a nation. Therefore, as good leaders put there by God to do good, to prosper the city, to advocate for the weak, to protect the vulnerable, they promote the moral good and they stand implacably opposed to that which is evil and that which is morally repugnant. Look at um, Proverbs 16 verse 12 as an example of what I'm talking about. It is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness. For a throne is established by righteousness. Good leaders know right from wrong. They stand in the way of its entrance into public life. 
Good leaders have moral fiber as part of their character. Good leaders, by the way, are not moral relativists. They are willing to judge between right and wrong because there is a basis for that judgment. The moral law of God expressed in the Ten Commandments, embodied in the life of Jesus Christ, the spotless Son of God. There is a straight edge by which our leaders, both locally and nationally, can know what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad for the nation. And a good leader will show moral fiber when it comes to those kind of debates, when it comes to those kind of decisions. They will not be led by public opinion or polls or interest groups. Listen to these words from President Harry Truman. He once commended this insight regarding the value of polls and public opinion on leadership. Quote, I wonder how far Moses would have gone if he had taken a poll in Egypt. What would Jesus have preached if he had taken a poll in Israel? Where would the Reformation have gone if Martin Luther had taken a poll? It isn't the polls or public opinion of the moment that counts. It is right and wrong and leadership, men with fortitude, honesty, and belief in the right. That makes epics in the history of the world. Amen. Great statement from one of our former presidents. Now, leaders stand opposed to wickedness. Finally, leaders display integrity. People entrust leaders with great power. And if you think about it, our leaders make all sorts of decisions for us that affects us immediately and in the long term, that affects you, that affects your children, and it affects your grandchildren. These men and women have great power. God has given them that power to exercise. We have surrendered up that power in our voting and in our submission, and we should ask from them honesty, integrity, and a commitment to truth in terms of ethics and morality. We ought to look for men and women in our nation who are of an impeachable character, men who we can trust our lives and our livelihood to. Listen to Proverbs 17, verse 7, as an example of what I'm talking about. Excellent speech is not becoming to a fool, much less lying lips to a prince. We ought to demand honesty, of our leaders. I don't want the spin. I want the facts. I want honesty. I want integrity. I want transparency. Because these men and these women affect my family, affect your family. And I will respect them. I will follow them. But I want honesty. I want integrity. I want moral character. Because righteousness exalts this nation. Sin will bring us down. Folks, those are the ideals. Those are the ideals that we ought to look for in our leaders. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to its people. If we want to exalt righteousness, let us elect righteous leaders. The Great Wall of China is one of the wonders of the world, built of stone and bricks. It was begun in 221 B.C., it snakes itself 2,000 miles across the northern borders of China. The walls are 25 feet wide at the base, 25 feet high, and have 30-foot towers every 200 yards along the wall. When it was built, the Chinese people behind it settled down to a time of security and stability, or so they thought. 
It was too high for enemies to scale, too strong to be battered down. But if you study Chinese history, you'll realize that across the history of this great nation, the wall was breached three times. It wasn't scaled and it wasn't battered down. Do you know what happened? Gatekeepers were bought. Gatekeepers betrayed their people and they opened the gates to the enemy. And through that illustration, you and I are reminded that we need to learn what the people of China learned, that the strength of a nation is not found in the height and thickness of its walls or in the size and strength of its armies, but in the character of its gatekeepers. Our president is a gatekeeper. Everybody that you send up to uh, Capitol Hill is a gatekeeper. And the strength of our nation depends upon the moral character of our gatekeepers. Regardless of the political label, whether the person's riding a donkey or an elephant, you make sure that they're marked by righteousness in these areas. We need to elect righteous leaders. Secondly and finally, we need to enact righteous laws. Amen? We need to enact righteous laws because America is great, has been, because America is good and has been. But when America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. We need to be a people governed by moral maxims, absolutes, because it is righteousness that exalts a nation. What is righteousness? It is uprightness. It is a behavior or an action according to a standard. And you can assume without argument that when these writers wrote of righteousness, they had in mind the righteous standards of God's moral law codified in the Ten Commandments, embodied in the Lord Jesus Christ. Righteousness exalts a nation. Therefore, uprightness of behavior in accordance with the moral law of God is the path to prosperity, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile. Our universe is not a moral vacuum. It is one designed by and directed by a holy God who weighs the actions of men and then he reacts accordingly. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 2. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. This is a moral universe. Just as the physical aspect of the universe is governed by natural laws such as gravity, and we must live within those natural laws. So there is a moral component to this world. It is governed by a holy God who has a righteous character, which was revealed and put on display in the Ten Commandments. And you and I, if we're going to enjoy life, liberty, and happiness, must recognize our Creator. And we must live within His moral maxims and laws. That's what the book of Proverbs wants to remind us. Good government therefore takes God's holy nature and moral governance into account. Atheists and agnostics do not make good leaders because they deny there is moral order to this universe. They deny the supreme lawgiver. And how is a nation to be exalted? if there is no righteous standards to live by. But there are. 
According to Proverbs 29, here's what we read, verse 26. Proverbs 29 and verse 26. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. Proverbs 16, verse 2. Bear in mind, justice comes from the Lord. God determines what is just. God sets the standards by which we live. And a good leader is cognizant of that because in Proverbs 16, verse 12, he establishes his throne according to righteousness. As the Proverbs teach the king, they also instruct us that justice does not come from any person's sense of right or wrong, not even a king. The king is to administer God's justice. The king is to establish God's righteousness. Morality is not relative. It is not given in the context of a person or a problem and changes with different persons and different problems. No, God's standards are like God himself. They're sovereign and steadfast. Morality is rooted in the absolute righteous character of God revealed to us in the Holy Bible and put on display in the life and times of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, listen to me. Right is right because God said so. Wrong is wrong because God said so. If God does not exist, if there is no transcendent, absolute moral law by which you and I might measure our behavior to know whether it's correct or incorrect, then all things are permissible. If God does not exist, then all is permissible. And I'll tell you why I believe that. For no man has a right to tell another man what to do unless that man is telling that man to do what God commands all men to do. Why should I obey the laws of the government? Because God told me to. And if he's not the authority, who is? What is? We're left drifting on a sea of relativism and pragmatism to the rocks of our own destruction. Therefore, despite secular voices crying out that morality is relative and cannot be legislated, by the way, I agree with James Kennedy here. If you can't legislate morality, what in the world can you legislate? Laws are all about morality. Laws are all about behavior. Of course you can legislate morality. That's the role of government. You can't force obedience, but you can legislate what is the best for society. The Bible and the Ten Commandments tell us that there are certain standards that are absolute and God will hold us accountable to them. Bear with me here for a few moments. Let's just look at the Ten Commandments. Let's remind ourselves of some of the things that are just absolute. As far as the Ten Commandments are concerned, the secularization of society in the worship of the material is wrong. Nothing must be put before God. Exodus 20, verse 3 and 6. The profaning of the sacred is wrong. We're not to take God's name in vain. The godless and relentless pursuit of material gain is wrong. We're meant to keep a day holy and set apart to reflect upon God's goodness, His place in our life, and our place in His providence. The undermining of family life, parental authority, and marriage between a man and a woman is wrong. We need to honor mother and father all the days of our life. The taking of innocent life is wrong. 
whether by genocide, homicide, abortion, euthanasia, or an unjust war. It's wrong because we shall not murder. The committing of sexual sin outside of marriage between a man and a woman for life is wrong because we're not to commit adultery. The act of stealing or lying is wrong. We shall not steal or bear false witness. The act of material greed and the spirit of discontentment is wrong, for we shouldn't covet our neighbor's possessions, not as wife, not as servants, not as oxen. Folks, when it comes to certain standards, God doesn't stammer and God doesn't stutter. God has not only written these laws on stone, he has etched them on the heart of every human being, and we need to write them into the laws of our land, for we discard them and disregard them at our own peril, because righteousness exalts a nation. Righteousness put on display in the commandments embodied in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us not forget that America first proclaimed its independence on the basis of self-evident moral truths. Our founding fathers believed in absolutes. They believed in a supreme lawgiver who had given us his law. And life and liberty is found within the law. Happiness is found in obedience. If America wants to know peace and prosperity, then America needs to embrace truth. Truth revealed by God in his word and through his son. We need to stop living by the dictum that everything is right sometime and nothing is right every time. We need to stop confusing the concepts of diversity with pluralism. We need to stop thinking that tolerance prevents us from making judgments. We need to move from feeling good to being good. We need to realize that ideas have consequences. When you teach men that they are apes, life becomes a jungle. We need to repent of the idea that the only absolute is that there are no absolutes, which is a complete contradiction. If there are no absolutes, then there can't be that absolute. You're left in a total mist and fog. We need to stop living like Willie Nelson plays golf. Let me explain. I was reading a while back that Willie Nelson bought his own golf course. And somebody asked him what par it was. He replied, anything I want it to be. You see that hole over there? He said, that's a par 47. <laughs> and yesterday I birdied it. <laughs> now, that would be laughable if it wasn't a picture of what's going on in America today. Because people don't believe there is a right and wrong. They believe it's whatever they want it to be. And therefore, we're at a crucial and critical hour in our history. If the foundation of moral consciousness and conduct as a nation is destroyed, what is left? Psalm 11, verse 3. If we forget what George Washington told us in his farewell address so many years ago, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principles. John Adams, to quote him again, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to govern any other way. Folks, we need to build upon the foundation of God's word. Evolution provides us no inalienable rights. Relativism provides no path for our children to follow. Pluralism provides us no heritage or no history to rejoice in. Everything must have a foundation. 
Our founding fathers gave us a foundation. They built a philosophy of life, political and personal, upon moral absolutes rooted in the character of the Creator, revealed in the life of His Son, and set before us in the words of His book. This is the genesis and the greatness of America. America was great because America was good. But America is not so good, and therefore America is not so great. We need to build upon the foundation of God's Word. A television news camera crew was on assignment in southern Florida, filming the widespread destruction of Hurricane Andrew. Amidst all the devastation and toppled buildings, they were struck at a single house that remained on its foundations in a particular district they were reporting in. They found the owner of the home, and they said, Sir, why is your house the only one standing? How did you manage to escape the severe damage of the hurricane? The man answered, quote, I built this house myself. I also built it according to the Florida State Building Code. When the code called for two-by-six roof trusts, I used two-by-six roof trusts. I was told that a house built according to the code could withstand a hurricane. It, I did, and it did. I suppose no one else around here followed the code. As I look around our crumbling culture, where young people are turning to suicide as an escape from life, as marriages crumble into divorce, as people have had no sense of purpose and well-being in life, it seems to me that very few in our nation are building to the code. But Jesus told us there is a foundation upon which you can build. And it's the bedrock of God's Word. And I trust that each of us will commit ourselves to continue to build according to the code. I pray that we as a church will seek by God's grace to elect righteous leaders and hold them accountable to enact righteous laws. And we'll all be the better for it. An important message from Philip DeCourcy on Know the Truth, titled For God and Country. It's possible you'd like to hear this message again or share it with a friend. You can request a CD or USB copy when you go online to ktt.org. And while you're there, you'll also find additional resources to guide you through today's topic. And if you're new to Know the Truth, we want to welcome you with a copy of Philip's new devotional booklet titled Resting in God's Faithfulness. It's yours just for contacting Know the Truth. Request your copy online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. Now, whether you're new or a longtime listener, there is another resource we'd like you to have. It's titled, A Dozen Things God Did With Your Sin and Three Things He'll Never Do, an encouraging book that addresses anxiety over sin by reminding believers of the good news of the gospel. Written by Sam Storms, this book helps believers find freedom, joy, and peace in knowing what God has done and will never do with their sin through the redemptive sacrifice of Jesus. And this resource is yours with a gift of any amount in support of Know the Truth. At Know the Truth, we're committed to proclaiming the truth of God's Word in order to encourage, equip, and engage believers to share the gospel wherever they are. And we do this through these daily Bible teaching broadcasts, but we can't do it without your help. We rely on the generosity of listeners like you to join with us in ministry. So please call 888-644-8811 
or give online at ktt.org. And don't forget to request your resources. Also, if you'd like to stay up to date on news, events, and resources from Know the Truth, then connect with us on social media. You'll find us on most major platforms when you search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Well, I'm Wayne Shepherd. We're glad you joined us for today's study in Proverbs. Tune in tomorrow as Philip DeCourcy begins a new series leading up to Easter titled Always Abounding. That's Tuesday right here on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free.